BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Maryland. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code OLDLINE150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Maryland today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Maryland only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days from issuance. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM National Harbor. Promotional not available in Washington, D.C. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only, not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. Welcome to the Three Down Nation podcast powered by Jiffy Lube. He's Justin Dunk and I'm John Hodge. Today, we're discussing the emergence of Jake Mayer. Andrew Harris's return to the lineup. The Riders implementing a COVID vaccine requirement for fans. Paul Lapolis calling the performance of his offense unacceptable. Uh-oh. And Chris Streveler making Arizona's roster for the second straight season. But first, Dunkster, Jacob Ruby was released by the Edmonton Elks on Tuesday for violating COVID protocols. TSN reported that Ruby lied to the team about being vaccinated for weeks until the team pressed him to provide the proper paperwork, which he couldn't do. Your thoughts? Well, it's the world that we're living in right now. And the fact that the breach of protocols was the reason that the Elks let him go, led many to believe that it was what he was doing potentially outside of the facility. And I was told that he had had a meal with some family that had come up from the United States. So I think that was part of it. And then obviously what you outlined off the top was the other, maybe more major part of the decision to let Ruby go. Yeah, and, and and something that I think uh, should be noted here is Ruby has started at, at guard for the Elks for for years now. Like he's he's a a big part of that offense. He is a, a starting Canadian offensive lineman. This is not you know cutting the water boy. This is not cutting the fourth string cornerback. This this is cutting a starting piece of your offense and a Canadian starter. Um, Edmondson is not particularly deep at Canadian offensive line. Uh, they don't really have another proven player. I think Thomas Jack Cordilla, who was a first round pick in 2020, will probably take over that job, but he's never started a CFL game in his career. So the Elks, I think, are really putting their money where their mouths are here because clearly after having an outbreak with 13 players testing positive, they're not messing around anymore. If you're cutting a player like Jacob Ruby, you're obviously taking protocols seriously. 
Agreed, Hodge. And the only real issue that I have with this is that one player has been made the example. Now, I'm not condoning anything that Ruby did. And I would imagine there are a bunch of details that we don't know about or that haven't been made public yet. But I'm sure, just like you, Hodge, we've talked to personnel men across the league, coaches, players, everybody else who have said that you know people are going out clubbing, doing those types of things at home or on the road, clearly breaking the COVID protocols. But here is Jacob Ruby that is held up as the guy that gets to be, I would say, in a way, scapegoated and in some ways unfairly. I'm not saying that the Elks shouldn't have made the decision to release him, but I'm saying that there are others that are breaching the protocols, so to speak, that are not being held to the same standard, which for a long time in the CFL has been a point of contention on various matters that it doesn't get held to the same regard, you know, team to team or even player to player. In this instance, it does make sense. I get why Edmonton released Ruby, but I think there should be consequences for other people if indeed it's proven out that they have broken the protocols. Yeah, and we, we saw that in Hamilton where Ja'Garrett Davis, the star defensive end, was was suspended for a game. He was held out of week four, uh, the game in Montreal, which the Ticats actually won without him. Um, so, yes, I, I agree that obviously any player, regardless of their stature, who's found uh, or proven to be uh, someone who's broken protocols should face uh, a penalty of some kind. Ruby, I think this is particularly egregious, lying, misrepresenting his vaccination status. Um, so I think the Elks did the right thing. But yes, I agree, Dunkster. If anybody is found to be doing similar activities or flagrantly breaking protocols as well, I would hope that there is a similar punishment because the CFL cannot afford right, to be missing games left, right, and center. They've had one outbreak. We're only a month into the season. Um, this can't keep happening. Some teams are at the 85% vaccination threshold, but the, the, this season, it's, it's this isn't the NFL. Right where you can eat a game or you can eat, you know, the, the, this is the CFL. We need teams to be on the field. We need fans and stands. We cannot have any further disruptions. Yeah, the NFL didn't have to eat any games last year, but they were fortunate in the sense that there's an even number of teams in that league and there's bye weeks that they could move around to get the game played. So I think for the league to make an example out of the Elks, would have been more beneficiary. Give the Argos a one nothing win. The Argos players should not lose any money because they did nothing wrong in this situation. And those Elks get a loss. And the players, sadly enough, or some people might think it's unfair, don't get paid. That's what I think should happen with the game because then you set the standard. And obviously there are people on many sides that don't want that to happen. But now we're talking about affecting other teams because you're going to have to juggle the schedule to try to get that game in and make some teams perhaps play on shorter weeks than was originally laid out because of the decisions that were made within one franchise. To the nation's capital, Paul Apolise said post-game in Ottawa that his team's performance on offense is, quote, unacceptable. End quote. While indicating that he considered, he did, pulling Matt Nichols. Dominic Davis reportedly got extra reps with the number one unit this week. Could have a package installed. What should Ottawa do at the game's pivotal position, Hodge? Well, the Red Blacks, and I I took liberty of making a list. These are the categories in which Ottawa, after three games this season, four weeks of the CFL season, is dead last offensively. Yards per game, 
points per game, passing yards per game, passing yards per attempt, rushing yards per game, rushing yards per attempt, and sacks allowed. Yikes. That is not a good list. They don't throw the ball well. They don't run the ball well. And that's obviously not something that we're accustomed to seeing from Paul Apolise's offense. Paul Apolise's offense was spectacular over the last four years in Winnipeg. That that offense didn't pass the ball particularly well. Um, however, they could do it well enough to win games, and they ran the ball extremely effectively, uh, by far and away, number one in the CFL on the ground. And the misdirection, right, the creativity was was sensational. We've seen a little bit of that this year in Ottawa, but honestly, the personnel is not up to snuff. And I don't think that, that Matt Nichols is the problem, personally. Uh, we saw Dom Davis start a ton of games there in, in 2019. He did not play well. And people forget that Dom Davis was in Winnipeg when when Paul Apolise came there and and they cut him, right? So so Paul Apolise has had the opportunity to install Dom Davis as his quarterback, didn't want to do it years ago. I'm not sure why you would enter a season uh, such as this and have Dom Davis as your number two um, when there were better options out there on the market. And I think if you're going to him at this stage of the season, I mean, for a package is fair, but if you're seriously considering pulling a veteran like Matt Nichols to put in Dom Davis, who again was not good in 2019, I think it shows just how desperate that team is. And I think it shows just how badly that personnel needs to be upgraded. McLeod Bethel Thompson was out there for the taking for a while, Hodge. He ended up 100% in Toronto. And to your point about the difference in what La Police did in Winnipeg compared to the first few games in Ottawa. You mentioned it a little bit. It's the personnel. You go from having the best offensive line in the league, led by a perennial, most outstanding offensive lineman contender in Stanley Bryant, to the best running back in the league in Andrew Harris and a veteran in Matt Nichols, who was there at the time, a guy that hadn't sustained that shoulder injury yet, to Ottawa, where you have arguably the league's Worst offensive line, lots of unproven talent there. There are some solid Canadians up front, it should be said, guys like Mark Corte. But you don't have a running back that you can rely on that's anywhere close to Andrew Harris. And the other playmakers around Nichols are not like what he had in Winnipeg. Like, we got to remember, Lucky Whitehead was on that offense. Darvin Adams, who is still there. You know, Kenny Lawler was a little younger. And there's a bunch of dudes as well, like Weston Dressler, that were there, that were playmakers when La Police was there. So it's not just as easy as putting your system in with new players. You have to have players that understand the league as well. And I'm sure La Police gets that overall. But as you mentioned, I don't want to be so hard on Dominic Davis because I thought he was all right, actually. And if you just judged by the first two games of the 2019 season when it seemed like Ottawa was actually competent on offense, Davis played well. Like we forget that the Red Blacks started that season 2-0 and with wins over Calgary and Saskatchewan. And one was against that upstart quarterback, now a superstar in Cody Fajardo. So I don't think that it's fair to say, hey, Dom Davis can't play anymore because he got caught up in the offense by committee. And that was a whole mess as it was. Yeah. But as you alluded to, it's very clear that when you're looking at this already, when you had the opportunity to keep Nick Arbuckle there, who was invested and moved to Ottawa, and look how good he played in week three, throwing for over 300 yards, that you could have made some different decisions at quarterback and with your skill position players to help the offense in the offseason, but they didn't do it. 
I'm pretty sure Dom Davis threw four picks in one of those wins uh, to start the 2019 season, but I do hear what you're saying. He did regress as the season went on, and maybe under Paul Apolise, that could change. I just think if you if you install Matt Nichols, if you sign him, and right, let's remember, as you mentioned, Nick Arbuckle could have been the guy there. They decided they weren't going to uh, renegotiate the contract in such a way that could keep him there. Uh, I, I just think it speaks to an overall lack of vision. If, if, if you're moving away from Nichols by game three, um, obviously you just didn't come into the season with a good enough of a plan. And uh, I think it's going to be a really long season in the nation's capital, unfortunately, for our nation. We got to take a quick break, Dunkster. We'll be right back. All right, summer's coming. Are you ready to unveil that beach bod you've been working so hard to show off? You're in luck. Our friends at Manscaped just launched their fourth generation performance package, which includes the Lawnmower 4.0. You heard that right. The 4.0. Compliment your summer bod with a trim from the leaders in male grooming. The sun is shining and calling your name, fellas. Join the 2 million men worldwide who trust manscaped and get ready for hot guy summer by going to manscaped.com for 20 percent off plus free shipping with the code fansided20 want to take your grooming game even further to the next level the performance package 4.0 also includes the weed whacker to chop down your worst weeds up top the weed whacker is also waterproof and uses 9000 rpm motor powered by 360 degree rotary dual blade system this nose and ear hair trimmer provides proprietary skin safe technology which helps prevent nicks snags and tugs in those delicate holes ouch get 20 percent off for free shipping with the code fansided20 at manscaped.com that's 20 percent off plus free shipping with the code fansided20 at manscaped.com escape the shrubs and weeds this summer with manscaped welcome back to the three down nation podcast dunkster Calgary Stampeders quarterback Jake Mayer has now thrown for 300 yards in back-to-back games while setting a new club record in week four by starting the game with 17 consecutive completions. How good is this kid? Dude, he looks legit after just two games. I think we need to caution ourselves here, not get too excited, but there's not been a quarterback that's looked that good in their first two games to start a career since Bo Levi Mitchell pretty simple Hodge right you go back to believe it was what 2012 or 2013 when Bo Levi Mitchell you would know this well you're probably at the game had a big game in Winnipeg I think he threw for over 300 yards and four touchdowns and that to me is the kind of confidence that we're seeing out of Mayor. yeah I will caveat that a little bit by saying it happened against the Blue Bombers in 2012 which means that it was basically a practice squad Um, (laughs) that being said Yes, it was it was similar to that. I was at that game. And uh, the, the other thing I'll say, even to Mayer's benefit, is remember, Bolivar Mitchell had at least dressed as the third quarterback a bunch of times, and I think he'd gotten in little bits of playing here and there. Mayer didn't, didn't dress week one or week two. He was on the reserve list. He might have been on the PR. I'd have to double check. But he, he dressed for his first career game in week three, started, through two early picks, but then still got the win over Montreal. And he played unbelievably well. 
in week four at Winnipeg. That defense has done really good things this year. He stood in the pocket. He didn't didn't panic when Willie Jefferson put his hand in his face, and he threw for 300 yards and did not turn the ball over. And not only that, he didn't put the ball in harm's way. It's not like he had zero picks, but you know there there was there was a sure interception that was dropped and two more that you know oh he threw in a triple coverage, but it you know. He, he, he was totally clean. I don't think he threw a single pass into a spot where it should not have gone, which we see veteran quarterbacks do all the time on both sides of the border, quite frankly. So the fact that he did such a good job of protecting the football while also move like actually pushing it down the field was sensational. My favorite play was with Dave Dickinson on third and two from his own 23 yard line, decided to have mayor throw almost a 30 yard bomb. And then he hit it. It was like, Oh my God. Like the confidence that you have to have, like, like I'm betting Paul Apolise is not letting Matt Nichols or Dom Davis throw that pass right now. And and Calgary Stampeders, his second career start, Jake Mayer's throwing that pass, and he hit it at arguably the toughest building in the CFL to play in at IG Field. Just sensational. Loud crowd, stout defense, third and two, didn't phase him. Reverse play action, a crossing route from Josh Huff, drops it in the bucket of play that they had ran in practice. And Dave Dickinson called a timeout, talked about with Mayer, and he was fired up to run. That, to me shows you exactly how much confidence Dickinson has in Mayer and what he could potentially do in the future. Because a quarterback in their second game, to take a play call like that with the guy that has a resume like Dave Dickinson, shows you how much trust the Stamps already have in this dude. He's got a bright future, Hodge. He's under contract for the 2022 season. But after that, he's a free agent. So Calgary has some time here to further develop him and see, I mean, ideally they don't want to play without Bo Levi Mitchell much longer. Dickinson actually said when he's healthy, Mitchell would be playing. So no quarterback controversy there, but it'll be intriguing to see what the Stamps do in the future with Mayer. Just down the road in Edmonton and you know, even a little bit further down the road in Regina, the Elks and Riders have implemented COVID-19 vaccine requirements for fans to attend games, which means every team now has a policy in place. About time, eh, Hodge? Absolutely. I mean, we, we've seen just since the Rider season started in Regina, COVID cases increased by, I believe it's 345%. Uh, we know, obviously, that there's more factors at play than just the riders playing. And I'm not an epidemiologist. However, we do know that at least nine cases came as a result or were tied to the the, the riders home opener. Uh, there was exposure in pill country. There was exposure on a shuttle bus. And uh, yeah, I mean, every, every other team now had these in place as of this past week, other than Saskatchewan and Edmonton. They announced their new policies at the exact same time. Obviously, neither of them wanted to be last. Um, and Craig Reynolds, the president and CEO of the Riders, did say that they had been in contact and in conversations for a little while with the Elks uh, regarding a, a decision. So, yes, certainly overdue, uh, but better late than never. That's right. At least it's here. And if you're a fan going out to games, you know, everywhere except for Winnipeg, you do have the option that if you make the decision to stay unvaccinated to show proof of a negative COVID-19 test, that should be, I think, stated as well. But it does show you that the CFL is trying to do its part to keep everybody as safe as possible. Does it guarantee that there's no cases out there? I don't think you can guarantee that anywhere right now in the world. 
but at least it shows the CFL taking a step. And to be quite honest, Hodge, I really would have liked to seen something like this league-wide and mandated by the office, namely Randy Ambrosi or the Board of Governors, before we even kicked off football. Like, it just makes sense. And I mean, even though the Elks and the Riders have put these policies forward, now it's still going to take a little while for them to be implemented. So I just wish this was done from the get-go. And I'm almost a little bit surprised that this wasn't included in the proposal to the various levels of governments in each province and federally to get the CFL back on the field. Yeah, the one thing I'll, I'll give the league office credit for in that regard is Saskatchewan still to this day does not have a mechanism by which residents of the province can prove that they're vaccinated, uh, at least to my knowledge. Uh, that We're recording this on Wednesday, September 1st. Ontario just this morning announced that they're going to a passport system. So, you know, if the CFL had announced this, say, six, seven, eight weeks ago, well, it's not helpful if people in Saskatchewan, Ontario, whatever, have literally no way to even prove right that they're vaccinated. Here in Manitoba, where I live, we've had uh, COVID vaccination cards for months. We've had them for a really long time with a QR code, uh, but I know some provinces haven't had them. So the, the the providing proof and having a way that people can actually identify that they've been vaccinated, I think, is is key. But again, better late than never for Edmondson and for Saskatchewan. The Hamilton Tiger Cats got their first win of the season with a 17-point victory over the Alouettes, spoiling their home opener. Dane Evans was effective despite being sacked six times. So who should quarterback this team after Jeremiah Mazzoli returns back to full health? That's the major question, Hodge, is when does Masoli get healthy? He's dealing with some sore ribs apparently right now. There might be some other issues that he hit, has took a couple hard hits against the Saskatchewan Rough Riders in week two. And even though he's always going to say that he's fine, he's a super tough dude. I think Orlando Steinauer called him a tough sucker. So you know <laughs> when you got a respect from a veteran, you know, CFL Hall of Fame defensive back that you can play through some stuff. So to me, that's the real question here is when is Masoli healthy now it certainly helps Dane Evans case that he was the quarterback with the team when they got their first victory of the season and if you're the tie cats it's not like you have to rush Masoli back because you essentially have a 1a or a 1b or however you want to term it in Dane Evans so if Masoli is healthy I get the sense that he'll be out there but if Evans continues to start and keeps winning games I get the sense that it could be more difficult to make that switch. So it all surrounds about Masoli's health. I get it. And let's also point out that, that, you know, Dane Evans was sacked six times in that game. It's clear that the Ticats still have a lot of work to do on that offensive line with their protection, um, making sure the quarterbacks stay upright. Cause that's obviously not sustainable, right? Jeremiah Mazzoli was running for his life in week one and week two and and Dane Evans was was doing the same for large stretches of that game against Montreal. And let's also acknowledge Montreal's front seven's pretty good, but there are better ones, right? If if you're going up against Toronto, if you're going up against Winnipeg, Saskatchewan, who again destroyed Jeremiah Mazzoli in week one and week two by no fault of his own, um, you're you're setting up your quarterbacks for failure. So they got to get that figured out. But Dane Evans certainly uh, had a better game than we've seen from from Jeremiah Mazzoli early on. It's a very interesting thing to follow because 
I'd have to double check, but I'm 99% sure both quarterbacks are free agents after this season. Obviously, the Ticats need to make a long-term decision after the season is done. And in a 14-game season, each and every contest counts. And each rep is going to count. You're right, Hodge. Both are free agents after the season. So finally, Evans is at the end of that three-year deal that he signed. It was a bargain rate for the Ticats. And Mm -hmm. if you're Hamilton, it might not be the worst thing to get a little more of a look at him and see, can he handle being the number one guy? Because there is a bit of an age difference, I believe a five-year gap. So if you're going to make the decision to go with Evans, then you want to see and have as much of a sample size as you possibly can. Andrew Harris made his 2021 CFL debut in week four, rushing 17 times for 81 yards and a touchdown at 34. Do you still believe Harris can be a legit star in this league? Well, I I think if this past week's game was any indication, the answer is yes. Andrew Harris hadn't played a game since the 2019 Grey Cup. He talked about having some self-doubt but he said he's also had self-doubt going into every season since he was first entering the league at the age of 23, 24, 25, right? He asks himself, well, am I, am I fast enough? Am I strong enough? Can I really play in this league? And he said, every year I go out there and I answer the question for myself and I hope to do that again this season. And I think he did. He made some really impressive runs. He had a 20 yarder. Uh, he, he, he made moves with speed. He made moves with quickness. He made moves with power. Uh, It wasn't a dominant performance like we've seen him have at times, uh, but obviously if you're an opposing defense and you're going up against Andrew Harris, I would think, you know, it's in your best interest to do everything you can to take him out of the game. And I think that's what the Stampeders really tried to do. So if, if, if I'm a bomber fan, I'm, I'm excited by what Andrew Harris did uh, in his first game back. 34 is obviously very old for a running back. It's not a position at which we often see players experience longevity. So I, I thought he passed the first test, at least uh, in his return to the field in 21 months. Yeah, it's been a long layoff, and that to me is why it was impressive. And you mentioned that, yeah, Calgary was going to focus on him, and he maybe wasn't as dominant as we saw him in that great cup. But we got to remember, like, when you have a layoff like that, and then you're trying to get ramped right back up to full speed game speed after just practicing and having no preseason games, that's difficult. It takes you a while. I can only speak to it from playing Canadian university football, but each year, that first game, it took, you know, about a quarter, quarter and a half, or even a full half to get used to the speed that the game is played at again. So Harris, it seemed like didn't take him that long, but still there's an adjustment period there for you to get back used to that speed level. And especially when you're going against a team like the Stampeders, who, yeah, maybe they don't have a bunch of defensive stars by name, but Brett Monson runs a tight, stout group there, and they can really do some damage and have been a stout defense ever since he took over. So I really think that Harris proved that he's still capable at 34. The question will be, can he keep it going on a consistent basis for the duration of the season? For sure. And and I think he did the other parts of his job well. He was good in pass protection, uh, standing up pass rushers. He did a good job catching passes out of the backfield as well. Uh, So those parts of his game, I don't think have taken a step back either. So I'm excited to see what he can do week five, week six, because people might remember Labor Day Classic and the Banjo Bowl were the two games he missed because of suspension in 2019. So I'm sure he's he's hungry to get a taste of those riders. We got to take a quick break. We'll be right back. 
It's now time for Hodge's Heritage Moment. On this day in 1990, the Toronto Argonauts defeated the BC Lions at Rogers Centre by a score of 68-43. to It remains the highest scoring game in CFL history, featuring a combined 111 points. The teams combined for 50 points in the fourth quarter alone, which remains the highest scoring quarter in league history. Matt Dunnigan led the Argos to 689 points on the season. That's 38.3 points per game, making it one of the highest scoring offenses ever in the three down league. Dunkster, did you ever score 50 points in a quarter? Oh, gosh, no. <laughs> that's an epic number, man. A 50 burger, not in a game, not in a half, in a quarter, in 15 minutes, man. I don't even know if there's been many NBA teams that have done that. And granted, the 50 points wasn't just the Argos. That was both teams combined. But still, that's shocking. That's that's more than seven uh, converted touchdowns, right? Seven touchdowns, 49 points. To put 50 up in a half or in a, in a quarter? insane and you know where you can get insane performance is jiffy loop take your vehicle into jiffy loop get it tuned up we're heading out of summer going into the fall it's a great time to get your car looked after they'll do a spectacular job you know buddy make sure you check those tires out actually i had an issue with mine the other day hodge where i had a little bit of a leak in there got some sort of a nail stuck in took it into jiffy lube they took a quick look at it patched it up Back on the road, man. Literally, whatever you need in there, full service. And those guys will make sure you're smooth running after your stop in at Jiffy Loop. In and out of J- in a Jiffy, like I like to say. It's now time for the three-minute drill powered by Jiffy Lube. Former CFL quarterback Chris Streveler has made the Arizona Cardinals for the second straight season as a backup to Kyler Murray. Is that a big deal? It is, although it should be said he's the third-string quarterback because the Cards brought in veteran Colt McCoy in the offseason to be the number two. In the story you broke, Mr. Hodge, Canadian defensive lineman Michael Hoyt made the LA Rams 53-man roster. Are you really surprised, though? Not really, considering how big and athletic he is, but I'm just excited to see a Canadian rush the passer alongside Aaron Donald. That's going to be amazing. The Chicago Bears waived former CFL All-Star defensive back Trey Roberson. Is that a surprise? Not necessarily to me. He's going through concussion protocol. Seems like he's all right, but I would imagine after that that if the Bears don't put him on practice squad, there could be some other teams interested. Former Riders offensive lineman Dakota Shepley was waived by the San Francisco 49ers. What do you think happens with him next time? I'm surprised that he got he got waived because I think he's he was from what I was hearing the first man in last man out of that building the team really liked him I think he'll be on the PR there and potentially move to the 53. Teron Carter tweeted that he's apparently quote not good enough to play in the CFL end quote is that true? The end of his career sure didn't seem that way. Get Teron Carter motivated though and in the right offense that dude I think can still be a superstar. The Blue Bombers signed two-time 1,000-yard receiver Naaman Roosevelt. Is he the missing piece that they need, huh? Well, Dunkster, people forget that this team signed Bryant Mitchell in the offseason for a reason. Now, he chose to retire instead of reporting to the team. But obviously, the names like Cam Meredith or Darius Stewart that were popping off in training camp weren't good enough. They're out. Naaman Roosevelt is in. 
Glenn Suter believes that players who aren't vaccinated should get, quote, an apple on a roadmap. End quote. Your thoughts? I mean, it seems like we're headed that way with the potential powers that be at the federal government, no matter who is in power at the time, wanting to mandate vaccination for travel by plane for train in the country. So a lot of talk going on around a lot of front offices about that issue. Winnipeg sported GOAT 24 t-shirts at practice in support of Mike Miller, who set a new league record for special teams tackles. How cool is that? I think it's very cool. And frankly, I want one. Bombers, hit me up. I'll wear it on the podcast. It'll be great. GOAT24. Gotta love it. We thank you, as always, for listening to the 3 Down Nation podcast. Make sure that you're following us on all the social media accounts available. We'll see you guys next time.